Welcome to another episode of Cyber Coast to Coast. Uh, I am Craig Schober coming at you from the West Coast here in Long Beach, California, and I'm joined by my brother, Scott Schober. Hey, what's up there, Craig? Great to, great to join you today. Hey, Scott. Um, good to be here. Finally back. Um, need to get this out of the way. Quickly apologize to any listeners who are expecting to hear our show for the past several weeks, uh, you know, due to uh, family emergencies and traveling and all that stuff. We've all been through this. Um, we uh, we couldn't get to the mics, couldn't get to computers in time to uh, record the episodes like we usually do. So, uh, you know, we're, we're finally back and here to deliver all the news that you expect from uh, Cyber Coast to Coast. Uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, Dark Kryptonite, which uh, is a product of uh, kind of a, a spin-off product, I guess you could say, of Cyberlytica, um, which has been our past sponsor as well. Uh, anyway, Dark Kryptonite is uh, known for stopping ransomware, malware, and phishing in their tracks by and eliminating cybercrime, fraud, and information warfare. Um, uses a uh, utilizes advanced blockchain algorithms and zero trust models. But you can learn that and a lot more about all about Dark Kryptonite on their website, darkkryptonite.com. Uh, kryptonite spelled with a C, by the way. Um, so uh, let's give you a quick rundown of this week's stories that we chose. Um, uh, we got a kind of a interesting AR, right, augmented reality story uh, about finding hidden uh, rogue wireless devices. This is right up our alley uh, here at Berkeley Baratronics. Uh, our second story is um, another interesting kind of also, uh, like the first story, it's kind of a research uh, thing. So it's more, it's more academic, more proof of concept stuff, but apparently some researchers were able to use, uh, are able to do this thing called ghost touch, um, which controls a, uh, from a, a short distance controls a, uh, uh, touch screen on your device uh but we'll you know we'll give you all the details on that and finally our third story involves kind of a looks like so a lot of these uh oil and gas companies are, are taking the pledge for cyber resilience um we always talk about these uh major uh threats and attacks on these uh very uh important infrastructural uh companies and it's good to see some of them stepping up. So we'll give you more of the details on, on that story. Uh, but let's let's kick it off with the first story. Uh, there's a there's this system called Lumos. Lumos system can find hidden cameras and IoT devices in your Airbnb or hotel room. At least that's the headline. But of course, you know, working at Berkeley Veritronics for so many years, I see so many more you know, potential applications than just Airbnb and hotel rooms. Um, but, you know, it seems like they might be making a, kind of a consumer play more for people that are paranoid about being spied on when they stay at their, their, their Airbnb or their hotel. And, uh, you know, and since everything's gone wireless these days with uh, from cameras to key loggers to whatever, um, you, uh, you have all these wireless signals bouncing around in in people's homes, in businesses, and of course, that includes hotel rooms. So, sure, they're detectable. Um, uh, anyway, the uh, 
it comes via Hacker News, the story I found it on. And they, uh, they, use, they seem to use uh, uh, systems very closely related to the stuff that we do at Berkeley Veritronics. It's, um, it's uh, RSSI. They're, they're looking at this, this signal strength in real time. And you know, generally, as you get closer to the source of this energy, you're going to see the RSSI go, uh, go up. And they're now kind of overlaying augmented reality on top of this signal strength. So as you walk around in a room or in an office building, and, and of course you could see, you could see they, they did a quick demo on this. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, Scott, but there's like a little YouTube video they embedded in, in their you know, research results. And, and so I, I think this is pretty early days for this stuff. It didn't look like a real demo. It looked like kind of a, a simulation of what you might see in a final product a couple of years from now. But I've been uh, dreaming of this. I've been pushing for things like this at Berkeley for years uh, to get, uh, you know, to get us on that next, on that visual level, you know, cause we've always used, we always use kind of bar graphs and, and, you know, it, it, it it's graphical. So it's a visual in that sense, but it's, you know, it's a lot of numbers and data kind of flying around. So it's, it's very engineer friendly, but it's not consumer friendly uh, for the most part. Um, I don't know. What, what did you, what did you think about this story? Did you, did this seem, does this seem more pie in the sky or do you think this stuff's going to be real soon or? Um, I guess I have a, a mixed bag. It's, it's exciting when you read about it. Cause I, I, I kind of like, I, like you, I like the potential for some of these things, the way it's done. And what, what I give them credit that they've done a little bit different maybe is this kind of augmented reality spin on it. I like the fact that you're looking at something visual in front of you, say it's a tablet or your phone, and now you're overlaying um, your suspicion of what it might be. And, and there are other companies that are out there doing this type of stuff, and they've been doing it for a while, um, but you don't hear of it in the mainstream um, news or, 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 or certain periop, uh, uh, things like the hacker news or whatever. So it's a little bit different. Maybe, maybe it stands out a little bit to us. The, the fact that they're taking RSSI values, which is basically the signal strength of something that's transmitting, and they're using that to correlate um, the distance away, um, that's been done forever, which is very common. It's part of our business. So we understand radio frequency and how signals propagate. But, but maybe more uh, to what they're doing is starting to code things toward MAC addresses. And, and we too do the very similar things in a bunch of other companies. The, the questions that naturally come out in my mind, because this is what we struggled with in the past and, and other companies is the fact that manufacturers have the ability in the Bluetooth standard, and Bluetooth low energy and Bluetooth to spoof MAC addresses. Um, therefore, the MAC addresses keep changing, which makes this a a bit of a, a cat and mouse game. So imagine now you're walking around with their advanced software platform for augmented reality in your Airbnb and you're kind of panning the room and suddenly what you're hunting down disappears. Well, that's very likely to happen and it does happen. So unless you have a more advanced algorithm that can code and tag and um, understand that the MAC address changed, if you're using that as the basis and it's spoofed, you're going to just basically, it'll disappear and right. you won't be able to find it and you'll be scratching your head, especially environments where they're real busy. And this is what we notice. If you take your average area where there's like, we're in a industrial park here, I may see a hundred Bluetooth low energy uh, addresses flying around. 
and uh, maybe a, a dozen or two just Bluetooth addresses flying around at any given spot in our building. That's a lot of activity. So you, you need really an engine to sort through it and, uh, and quickly identify it. And the other thing they didn't really talk about much was, I guess, if something's paired. And that's where it gets a little bit more complex. And it's exciting for us because some of the cool stuff we've done, like we know uh, in AirTag, for example, which is, is a hot topic lately, AirTags and Tiles and Samsung SmartTags, they pair to a phone. When they do that, it becomes a closed network and it's encrypted traffic and you really can't see into it. To my knowledge, nobody's been able to hack or break into that encrypted traffic. Um, and that's, that's kind of difficult. So when they say that they can do that, I think they even mentioned they could look at encrypted traffic. So I'm not really sure what that means when they're saying that. I don't think it means they hacked into it or broke through Apple or Samsung's algorithm to get any of the data. I think they're just looking at RSSI and RSSI data is not encrypted. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the MAC address stuff is not encrypted. So I, it, the article maybe is maybe misreported or a little bit confused, or maybe they're doing something I don't know about, but the concept, love it. Um, I think it does some really cool stuff. And, and some of the stuff we've been working on recently with our, it's a new product or, or, or new features to a, a product that's been selling very successfully called our Yorkie Pro which is direction finding solution where we can hunt down rogue Wi-Fi um, access points, Bluetooth, Bluetooth, low energy and cell phones. We actually are now uh, came up with an algorithm to identify uh, air tags and Samsung tags, as well as AirPods and a bunch of other things. So we'll let you know who the manufacturer is, what the specific device is, and we're able to actually hunt it down. And now we're dealing with some things, um, ways to overcome some of the spoofing. So you can actually track a target. They, for security reasons, try to spoof or check address, and we could still hunt it down. To me, that's one of the most exciting things, uh, developments that we're working on. And I haven't seen anyone else actually try to address that, maybe uh, aside from really advanced, you know, half million uh, dollar systems that, that the government's using uh, with researchers and things. So we're trying to put it into a handheld product, really exciting stuff coming up. Yeah. I, uh, it's always uh, gratifying to see uh, kind of a, when a plan comes together as a uh, uh, Hannibal yeah. from uh, uh, a team would always used to say, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see when, you know, you can, you have, especially when you have an existing product and you can kind of quickly um, engineer a new feature that has become the hot topic. And we, as we know, we've, we've done a few of these stories, you know, this cyber stalking and, um, you know, tracking of illegal uh, packages and vehicles and all types of things using these consumer grade air tags and smart tags and tiles trackers. Um, that's become the hot you know, a new hot story because mm -hmm. everyone's got them and anyone could use them. Everyone has access to them. So, you know, the point where they get abused is, yeah, it, it's almost instantaneous as soon as they're released uh, to the market. So, and, and now, and now to see that cr kind of crisscross between the, almost the consumer product, the consumer market affecting um, professionals, you know, I'm, I'm hearing stories of, of, you know, police, vehicles and officers actually being tracked without their them knowing it 
buy these like $30 little trackers. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a crazy, you know, kind of upside down world when, when that can happen. So it's good to get these uh, tools into the hands of uh, law enforcement and all these government agents that rely to some part on some sort of, you know, anonymity, or at least, you know, they don't want their, you, they never want their location to be known by the bad guys, because that would foil any plans to uh, intercept or, um, you know, make, make arrests and all the things that, you know, we need them to be doing. So, yeah, yeah, I think it was a great point. And I, I always try to balance out too, because a lot of people, they look at air track or uh, air tags and, and Samsung smart tags and tile and everything else and say, Oh, that's all only used by stalkers and people trying to track people. And, and, and yes, that's true. It's, it's a smaller percentage. I believe that are actually doing that. It's just that that's what makes the headlines, you know, a famous model of stalk. She was in a bar, someone drops an air tag in her purse and uh, the stalker followers are home. Fortunately, nothing happened in that instance, but that made the headlines. It gets a lot of attention. What doesn't, if, if you look at some of the other stories, I call them success stories for the air tag, for example. Uh, just the other day, I was reading one. There was a, a bank robbery that was foiled, I guess, with, with the money the guy took. They must have slipped an air tag in there, and they actually tracked him down and arrested him. Hmm. Uh, a woman's purse was stolen. Boom, same thing. And there was one this morning I was, I was laughing about. It was a somebody put an air tag in a grandma's car, and for some reason, they were tracking her. And, and the new story at the end, the grandma says, come and get me. And she holds up a, a taser and it was like, it's just, just craziness going on. So there is a lot of fear going on with being stalked and tracked, certainly. But at the same time, I think trackers in general can be used for good purposes. I, I think back um, I, when I was working with uh, National Weights and Measures and there was a skimmer task force that I was asked to join and, and weigh in on some different things about skimmers. And in that instance, they were talking about a sting operation they had, and it was about eight special and big investigative uh, patrol cars that were trying to move in on a big stinger or, or a skimmer operation. And they couldn't understand every time they got close to breaking it and knocking on the door and arrest the bad guys. Um, there was no one there and it happened again and again and again. Eventually the, the head of the, the investigative unit said they realized somebody realized they spotted a GPS tracker on their car. Mm. And sure enough, they went to all the other cars, all eight cars, had GPS trackers on it. So the bad guys literally put trackers on all the police cars. And when they saw them come to a close proximity, they would geofence the area. They would disappear before the police could knock the door down again and again and again. So trackers can really be used for unscrupulous purposes. If you're a bad guy, it can give you the edge. And if you're shipping drugs or guns or you know, uh, people trying to sneak across the border, who knows, what, whatever crazy thing you could be doing, trackers are really getting popular, especially when you look at the ecosystem of Apple, you can buy for, for 30 bucks or less and you press a button and boom, it's paired to your phone. You throw it into something, the battery lasts for three to six months. It's really a great solution. And it's hard to find the person that's using MiFi network or uh, find my network on, on your iPhone or whatever to track them down in reverse. So Mm -hmm. um, effective technology. If it's misused, yeah, it's really powerful. If it's used right, yeah, it's really powerful also. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, Apple's such a big organization. They've been, you know, they've been making improvements slowly to um, kind of, you know, they're never going to distinguish completely, but they're uh, trying to uh, 
eliminate some of the stalking going on, but they're such a big organization, you know, it takes them months to put out, to test and check and all these things, and then finally put it out. And by that time, it's, it's kind of seems like the people who are going to use some of their uh, products for bad purposes are, are kind of like, you know, ready, ready and waiting to, to go to, go to the next level. And then Apple has to do all it all all over again. So you get these, these cycles of, of abuse of a product that lasts a few months, and then it kind of, it's tampered a little bit. And then the abuse picks up again, uh, you know, using a different angle or some kind of other method. Um, So it's just, it's just a a continual cycle, but so that gives me confidence. We'll have more of these stories in future episodes. Coming, I think that's for sure. No (laughs) end to them. Yep. All right. Uh, well, let's jump to our next one, uh, our next story today. Uh, but first, want to quickly remind everyone that this episode is sponsored by Dark Kryptonite. Um, for, uh, check out darkkryptonite.com if you're uh, uh, afraid of ransomware, malware, phishing attacks, and all those things that come with cybercrime. Um, and if you have uh, uh, hope, in the use of uh, blockchain algorithms, zero trust models, and all those things, uh, then definitely check out uh, what Dark Kryptonite has to say because they're working with all that stuff and more. Uh, DarkKryptonite.com. Let's see, second story. This one also came from Hacker News. They're a really uh, invaluable resource for this show, at least. (laughs) And and they're they're a great kind of... um, Get right to the right to the story you know there's no there's, you don't have to deal with the preamble and stuff of all these blogs that you read uh they kind of get right to it and give you all the facts um in this story the facts are um these researchers were are trying to and they claim to have uh, effectively been able to um manipulate touch screens you know these same touch screens on your on your iPads, your iPhones, your Android devices, uh, using electromagnetic signals. Um, and they call this ghost touch, uh, which of course is much cooler than it actually is because <laughs> when you start, when you start reading some of the details, um, I noticed that, well, it's not exactly what I pictured when I first read the headline and started reading the story. And then I kind of got down to some more details and, and, and realized like, oh, okay, it's only researchers. It's not, this is far from being used to exploit any of our devices. And it's not actually hacking anything. All it really is doing from what I can tell is simply just manipulating the device. So the same way I would uh, touch in, uh, push in my six, four or six digit passcode to unlock my iPhone, for instance, it's just doing that from a very, very short distance. Uh, And actually, I think it's a 30 millimeter distance from what I saw. So uh, the demo uh, or the little illustration they included with the blog, with the story had like a phone kind of, you know, how, you know, how, when you want uh, privacy or security for your device. You don't want anything to pop up on it when anyone might be walking by and see it. You know, you turn it down on its face. Sure. And so they had a little picture of a, a phone on a table. Now, suppose you turn it down on its face and underneath the table was installed one of these ghost touch devices where it could technically, yeah, they could uh, access your phone. They could manipulate it. They could do just about anything. But of course, just like a norm, anyone who has 
access to your device, well, they still have to know your passcode or they still have to be able to trick the biometric device, you know, security in it. And they still have to know other various passcodes that will get you through the various levels of security in your device. So I don't know, is there, is this really a big potential use for hackers? I, I think you know, when I think of stuff, I, I think of, I go right to m movies and TV shows. You know, I go to the old scenario where there's always the hero gets trapped in like a prison and there's like a keypad or, you know, in the old days, it was like the keys were on the wall. Remember the Brady Bunch episode where they yes. go to the, they go to the Grand Canyon and they, and they try to, they try to lasso the keys and pull the keys so they can unlock the cell. They all got locked in. Like I'm picturing a, you know, a, a keypad entry that would unlock the cell you're in. And so, yeah, you could shoot this device to pre almost pretend like you're a ghost leaving the cell. And now you could push in the, you know, dial in the pin numbers and, and you can unlock the cell and everything, but you're not doing that from 30 millimeters away. So okay. obviously they, there's range, uh, you know, range expectations. Uh, they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure that out. If this is to ever become a true threat, because, you know, isn't this just having access to the device, another form of having access to the device, uh, hack and nothing really more than that. It's not, I don't know. I wouldn't call it wireless per se. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a little bit of a spin on the two, I guess. And, and, and I'll relate it this way and share a, a, a brief story. Um, the method that that it uses in this in this instance, and it is a good article or story, I guess. Here, it shows you the potential that if it was improved, the technology and, and very focused, you could potentially start exploiting the vulnerabilities here. But as you mentioned, thirty to forty millimeters—that's an inch and a half, two inches, less than that. Very close proximity, number one, and it's really it's really uh, going against a capacitive touch screen. And, and, and using that as a sense of vulnerability by really introducing an electromagnetic field to it. And I experienced the same thing real world, as weird as it sounds. Uh, a few years ago, I bought, I upgraded our, our bathrooms at our summer house. And I said, oh, that's a nice toilet. It was a Kohler touchless toilet. And, and the way that uh, those touchless toilets work is there's no physical handle that you actually flush, but it's it's either capacitive, I guess, sensing or really, it's really electromagnetic field. As your hand gets really close to the top of the toilet, it flushes. And you got to be about an inch or two away, but you never have to touch the toilet, which is the beauty. So you don't get germs on your hand, especially in the days of COVID. This all makes sense. Well, fast forward to um, only a couple of weeks ago, my, my Kohler wonderful uh, touchless toilets just didn't work. And what was starting to happen is I guess the moisture in the air and the sensor wasn't working right. I had to write to Kohler. They sent me new sensors free of charge. I put them in same thing that I, I, you know, worked for a while. And again, they just had started having problems and they would just like a ghost would flush the toilet automatically. And you'd be standing there 20 feet away. And all of a sudden you hear the toilet flush. You walk over <laughs> and go, what the heck happened here? I didn't put my hand near it. There's no motion. What's going on. Couldn't figure it out. Couldn't figure it out. And of course, it's just happening again and again and again. So we have a well up there. So the well is pumping away and it's mm -hmm. flushing through the night. We have a septic. So the septic's filling up with, with water from just a toilet that nobody's on. And it got to the point I got so annoyed. I went up to, to the internet and, and I'm noticing hundreds of thousands of people are having the same problem with the same toilet. Mm -hmm. You know what the solution was? A good old diamond tip bit, 
drill a hole in, in, in the porcelain and mount a handle in it. And that's what I did. I modified my mm. high tech toilets and put old school handles in it so I could actually flush and got away from the, um, you know, capacitive touch, electromagnetic field, auto flushing toilets. I'm, you know, I don't want to bad mouth the Kohler, but I don't think they had a product that lasted really long. After about two years, the amount of failures and batteries it went through it was terrible. The one thing I think the big fail that they made was there was no manual way to flush the toilet. You'd have to literally open the, the top, the tank top, take it off, reach your hand in the water, mm. pull up on the chain and get wet and touch it and dirty, which defeats the whole purpose. So right. um, anyway, the, 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 the short of the long story there, cool technology in, in this here, how uh, attackers are using these electromagnetic signals. But I think they're giant, large buttons on a phone that again are capacitive touch LCDs. It's very limited ability as far as hacking in, but it shows you the potential is there and maybe some unique circumstances. You can cause a lot of havoc. That's for sure. Yeah, I can. I could just see it now. All the all the headlines on on Hacker News: Ghost Flush. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Kohler's Ghost Flush. Yeah, yeah. It but. was it was a it was a frustrating thing, but I did feel vindicated when I was able to not have to remove the expensive toilet and go buy new ones instead just modify them and it looks like it's now a brand new toilet that works as a toilet works which is good all right well that brings us to our third and final story um want to quickly remind listeners again darkkryptonite.com is our sponsor for this week's episode uh you can learn all about the dark web and how darkkryptonite.com is looking on that dark web and using blockchain algorithms zero trust models uh to eliminate cybercrime fraud and uh, information warfare uh darkkryptonite.com uh third story uh Oil and gas companies take cyber resilience pledge. Uh, this one comes to us from itsecurityguru.org. It's, that might be a new one for me. I, I, don't, I never I've heard. I've never heard of them either. Yeah. I, um, actually, I should I should plug this. I get a, a newsletter. A lot of these stories I get from uh, just you know scouring the web, just randomly you know coming upon them, but a lot of them, my go-to source is uh, called uh, Inside Security. And there, it's a series of uh, email newsletters, Inside Transportation, Inside Entertainment, Inside This and That. They got a, a dozen of them. And they do a really good job of uh, bringing uh, uh, kind of a diverse uh, bunch of uh, news organizations that cover these stories and they break it down uh, really simple, digestible bullet points and headlines and things. And, and I get this all in an email. Half of the time, I don't even click in the story because I get, I get so much information from a quick read that I know whether I care about the story or not. And then if I care about it, you know, I get more information and, and jump onto the webpage and, and get all the, the details, all the in full color. Um, so just wanted to give a quick shout out to those, those guys over at inside security, check them out. If you want to get your, uh, news emailed right to you in a, an effective way. Uh, anyway, um, this story, uh, you know, we, you've, you've done, especially Scott, you've done your share of, uh, kind of infrastructure, uh, events and, uh, blogs and, uh, you've, you've spoken at length 
uh, on news news channels and news networks uh, about this stuff on how this critical infrastructure is just uh, going to be a it's going to be a big thing. And we heard scares with the uh, the Russian Ukrainian war that mm -hmm. that we were going to get collateral damage from this. Haven't seen it much uh here but we i've had heard, definitely heard stories of the ukraine and russia to some extent getting some critical infrastructure things shut down and you know kind of chaos and all those types of things uh, the, I, I guess you could say for once this is a good story uh it's not a scary story in that sense uh because uh according to the story 18 energy corporations have agreed to cooperate on dedicated solution to strengthen cybersecurity across their industries. Um, and I'll just throw out some quick uh, numbers here uh, that were included in the story, because of course, I don't think anyone knows this stuff off offhand <laughs> in their head. 87% uh, of senior executives plan to improve cyber resili resilience in their organizations. 41% of business executives believe cyber resilience is an established business priority. 13% of cyber leaders find that cyber resilience is integrated into business strategy. 4.62 million is the average cost of a data breach incurred by organizations resulting from destructive cyber attacks. And some of the companies here, I never heard of any of them, maybe you have, but um, some of the companies involved in this pledge uh, are Petronas, Galp, Ecopetrol, Clarity, Sounds like probably a lot of international companies. Oh, get the dogs are Hang on a second. Hey, no problem. Quiet. Quiet. Guys. Yeah, and I, th I think you're right. These are mostly international companies. And again, this, this, this was discussed and, and kind of announced under the uh, World Economic Forum. And I think that's a big part of it. So you're bringing together all these different international countries and, and some of the, the smaller countries with smaller, uh, you know, critical infrastructure and petroleum and so on and so forth needs uh, and electric needs really need to count on others. And I guess that's what's starting to happen here when, when, when large companies and small companies all come together in the energy sector, they can do a lot more than just, you know, everybody's on their own. And that, that's kind of dangerous, especially because critical infrastructure really uses a lot of commonality when you control, you know, the, the generators and the electric grids and things like that, uh, most of these companies are not making it. They're buying it from the big guys, you know, GE and other companies like that globally. Therefore, they have the same vulnerabilities. So the more that these companies partner, work together and build up a cyber resilience, the safer it'll be for everybody globally. So I think I commend them when they start doing this. I just wish the list was a lot longer than just these 18, but maybe it's just the start and some of the bigger guys will soon join the names that we've we've heard around the globe. You need some big guys behind this and um, to make a big difference, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just looking at this Cyber Resilience Pledge website. I guess it's not so much... You know, it's always good to see, um, you know, companies kind of come forward and proactively do things. And I suppose that's what this is. They're not being browbeated by regulators because that could stifle competition. Although you do want everyone to be on the same page, like you were saying, infrastructural infrastructure stuff. They share, there's a lot of commonalities here. Mm -hmm. And it seems that they could all only benefit if they 
share some of these uh, these kind of common uh, aspirations to stay stay secure. You know, in other words, you're always going to have these. You know, especially in cap more capitalistic societies, you're always going to have uh, companies are going to kind of go it on their own. They're going to go their mm-hmm. own way, and that stimulates competition, and that's fine. But you know, how do you go it? How do you go your own way in being cyber resilient? You know, it it seems like you would actually you would need to adhere to some set of standards. Uh, all 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 companies, whether they want to or not, or whether they know it or not, you're mm-hmm. going to have to adhere to some standards. Just like you know, everyone has a, a lock on their front door. You're gonna you know you're all going to have certain locks on certain um, key. Uh, controls in your in your critical infrastructure, whether it's you know water, um, electric, gas, power, whatever. Um, so, I think it's a, I think it's overall a good thing. But like again, like you said, it's a it's a small step. It's a small step forward. Yep. And I think I think we're hoping for something bigger. I think it's long overdue. Definitely, definitely. Um, and I, I think I, I also noticed. I mean, I was talking about this a couple of years ago when I would be out at a security show presenting and, and sharing what my fear was. And, and oftentimes my fear was targeting critical infrastructure. And, and what's different about it, it's probably good to maybe just show the contrast. When we think about if you have a cyber criminal and they're targeting your business and they target you with, let's say, a ransomware attack, they're taking your computer network down. Does that cause damage? Absolutely. But contrast that now with a critical infrastructure attack, uh, attackers can inflict damage on physical infrastructure just by uh, infiltrating the digital systems, the computer networks, things that are controlling physical processes. Maybe, maybe it's a nuclear facility and, and it's a centrifuge and, it, and it's you know controlling the speed of it or, or the cooling systems or things. When, when those things are monkeyed with, the specialized equipment that's expensive, time-consuming to set up, expensive to maintain and produces tons of electricity that keeps the city alive, um, if they disrupt that, that could take down the power grid. That could affect people's lives. So right away, you could see the the impacts of it are much greater. And, and I always related to the time we had a, a big storm and we lost power here, our home and our business for over a week. It felt like it was the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It was very devastating. And you think about you can't get on your computer. You can't get on Wi-Fi. You can't watch TV. You can't charge your phone. You can't communicate to people you feel suddenly very isolated. It feels like an end of the world scenario. So imagine now cyber criminals and, and, and attacking and targeting critical infrastructure. That's the danger of it. It affects so many people. It affects the masses, not narrow slices of the population, which, which is really what a lot of the cyber criminals are doing now when they're targeting different sectors, be it retail or enterprise or whatever with these focused cyber attacks. So again, mm-hmm. Just, just glad that glad, glad you brought this story up and, and that they shared this and reported on it because this is a growing problem. And the, just the fact that it's being reported on, they're putting together a consortium of companies to discuss it and work toward strengthening cybersecurity across the entire industry. I, I say bravo. That's great to hear. And I think only good things can come out of it. Yeah. And you make a great point about our... Um reliance on these things when so when millions of people are reliant on critical infrastructures um it's 
it it leads to it can lead to a lot of um, well, it's not unintended. Uh, you know, the uh, the hackers are probably intending it to, but it, it leads to a lot of death, which you know, and destruction and and violence and criminal activity because you can't people panic people uh, and because they're so reliant on these things. You know, I've been in a couple situations where you're. I was in a, you know, in blackouts with, with no power. And it's amazing how many times you forget that you don't have Wi-Fi or internet or a TV that works. And you're kind of like, you know, you're walking around the dark house with candles or whatever. Mm-hmm. Some, you know, your, 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 the, your light, your led light on your smartphone for as long as the power you have to that will last. And you, and you think, well, let me just go on the internet until this, oh, wait, I can't do that. Well, let me just let me just watch TV until this all. Oh, I can't do that now either. And and there's so many things that, you know, they're they're trivial in a sense in your little life. But now, when you accumulate that across millions of people, all stuck in their homes or outside or wherever they were when this kind of disaster struck, suddenly a little half hour or one hour blackout can Mm -hmm. become a bigger problem. And if it lasts Mm. days, now you have these compounded problems and you have people starting to fight, get more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're rioting. Maybe they see these opportunities to commit criminal activities. And then, you you know, what is the, when we went at the, you know, some of these conferences that you've spoken at, is it at like at the, is it the three day or the four day mark is when things start to go like completely out of control and yeah. you start to have people fighting for the basics like food and, and like money becomes a side issue. It's like, well, we're not going to, they're not there to steal money anymore. They're not, you know, they're going to go for they, a gallon of gas. Right. And you see people get into a, a, an actual altercation over a gallon of gas. If somebody cuts a line. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one example, but, but even basic food type of things, um, it, it is very scary. So I think things can get out of control and escalate very quickly when human emotions get into play. People say, I have rights. I demand this. Um, it just turns into a disaster. So I think, I think understanding where the vulnerabilities are and identifying it is a key factor in the past. It was too much um, maybe government oversight and we're going to do this. We're going to make it safer, but no action was done. And, and, and it also it's important to point out the challenge is a lot of the critical infrastructure is, is actually privatized. There, there are a lot of these energy companies and uh, refineries and other things like that, where the majority of them may be a privately held company. It's very different. And it's very hard to now go in and tell these groups, hey, you got to be cyber resilient and you got to do this. They're, they're focused on delivering their energy and profit for their shareholders and growing their company. And oftentimes they're not always focused on protecting data and protecting sensors mm-hmm. and protecting the computer networks and things like that. So um, it, it does unfortunately involve something much bigger and it involves everybody getting involved in, in that sector, I think, and probably some rules and regulations to make sure that it happens and it's done right. Whether you're a small energy provider for a local municipality, you know, cleaning the, 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 uh, the waste, you're providing water, electric, whatever it is, just, just important that uh, everybody works together. Oh, well said. Um, and I guess that concludes, uh, 
this episode. Uh, you got anything uh, before we sign off? Uh, you got any uh, events coming up that you might be appearing at or tuning into? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a bunch of speaking events coming up later in in the summer into the fall that are already starting to schedule. So my my schedule's filling up quickly. But I am going out to RSA. Uh, out in San Francisco, that's June 6th through 9th. So certainly anybody could that's following me on social media could ping me if you want to meet up there and uh, get to say hi. I'm looking forward to that. RSA show is always a great show. They have anywhere from probably 30 to 50,000 people. I think it'll be a, a hybrid event. So there'll be a lot of people there in person, but it's also going to be virtual. So some of the presentations and things um maybe a little bit different because of that aspect because COVID is still a problem out there. So I've got to use extra caution there, but look forward to that, that great event. And uh, I'll, I'll share some of the, I guess in future episodes of this, some of the different uh, things that I'll be speaking at events. Some I'll be traveling to in person. It seems to be most, most of them are migrating back to in person, which is great. So I'll be traveling probably throughout the United States a little bit later this year, late summer into the fall, lots of different speaking events. And I think those are all listed also on the, my webpage there, uh, scottschober.com. So feel free to check that out from time to time or subscribe to our, our uh, email newsletter. You certainly can. And that way you can kind of keep up to the date, not just with things where I'm speaking, but even tips and, and some other things that we're kind of keep you in the background learning about cybersecurity and how you can stay safe because I'm constantly getting people asking me questions every single week and sometimes every day and uh, recommendations on what, what password manager do I use and is there any way I could stay safe here? What are some best practices? So I'm constantly sharing this information. I love doing it. I want to keep people safe and fight back against cyber criminals. So if you have the opportunity, reach out and, uh, send me a message there or shoot me an email. I'll be happy to chat a little bit with you. All right. Sounds great. And before we sign off, just want to thank one more time, our sponsor, darkkryptonite.com. Uh, that's dark kryptonite, kryptonite with a C. And you can go on their website to learn all about their um, fraud and information and cyber crime prevention strategies, uh, darkkryptonite.com. This podcast is available on YouTube, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Apple, Amazon, and more. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe and review our podcast. We're always look, looking out for our listeners. We want to we wanna interact. So for questions and comments, uh, you can uh, direct message us on Twitter. You could hit up Scott's uh, uh, account at ScottBVS. Or you could visit, like he said, uh, ScottShober.com for more information and fill out one of those forms or shoot an email over. Uh, if we read your comment or question on the podcast, we'll send you a choice of a signed copy of Hacked Again, Cybersecurity's Everybody's Business or Senior Cyber. Those are our three books. And, you know, we're currently, well, we're working on a fourth, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. It's coming along. Uh, we should have some. We'll have news on that in a future episode. Uh, but thanks everyone Thank for you. listening and uh, tune in next week for another new episode packed with cyber news and tips to stay safe. This is Craig from the West Coast signing out. All right. Signing out here from the East Coast. Stay safe and we'll talk to you next week, Craig. Thanks. Bye. Over.